Okay. So I, I'm first going to present on our aqueduct uh, water risk measurement and mapping tool. Uh, uh, th this is a project that, that's been underway for about two and a half years. And then I'm going to proceed to uh, the, the uh, meat of my presentation, which, which will examine the water-food nexus. So first of all, what, what is the aqueduct project? Uh, it is, first of all, an adaptable framework of indicators that will help the user better understand water risk at both global and local scales. Uh, secondly, uh, it will, um, it is my hope that it will become the world's best high-resolution water risk mapping tool. I think we're well on our way towards becoming that. And finally, we want this data and information to be used. So, so we want it to become an information platform that can facilitate public and private action uh, to promote more efficient and sustainable management of water resources. Our funders uh, include Goldman Sachs, General Electric, the Skoll Global Threats Fund, the Coca-Cola Company, Bloomberg, Talisman Energy, the Dow Chemical Company, the Dutch government, United Technologies, and John Deere. Uh, so uh, a, couple, a couple of our, um, our sponsors are, are here at this conference with us today, and, and thank you. So let's start out looking at, at a basic indicator of water stress. Uh, this is called the water stress ratio or the water withdrawal ratio. It's basically shows at any point on the global map uh, the ratio of total demand for water uh, relative to total available supply. The higher that ratio is, the more stressed water resources are, the more conflict you're likely to have between different users of that resource. So you'll see that uh, as of the baseline year, which was the year 2000, a lot of areas are already uh, facing very high levels of stress, greater than 80%. These areas include southwestern United States, uh, northern Mexico, m much of the Middle East and North Africa, uh, parts of southern and eastern Africa, Central Asia, northern China, uh, and most of Australia. Now, we uh, make some plausible assumptions about how increasing population and growing economies uh, will affect demand for water in the next couple of decades, uh, and how climate change will likely affect uh, the supply of water. And we come up with uh, maps of long-term change in this water stress ratio. Here's one using a particular scenario that the IPCC used, the A1B scenario, for the year 2025. And what you can see here uh, is relative to the baseline year, which was the year 2000, you're going to see water stress grow significantly, uh, a two to eight times worse in many locations uh, during this period. So for example, uh, if, if we look at northern China, uh, uh, we see an area that's already very stressed today will continue to see the news tighten uh, in terms of water scarcity. Uh, we, we are projecting 
the water withdrawal ratio to increase somewhere between three and eight times. Same is true for the area of the country where we are now, the, the area uh, um, uh, that overlies the Ogallala or Great Plains Aquifer. Now, these maps show but one indicator of, of water risk. Uh, these maps showed average annual water stress, that first indicator. As you can see, there are a lot of other components of water risk. Uh, some of these indicators have to do with uh, water quantity. Some of them have to do with water quality. Others have to do with how well or poorly water resources are managed. Uh, we've decided to do some deep dives. Let me go back to that. Uh, in, in a number of basins throughout the world, uh, to look at all of these indicators uh, together. Well, separately or together, you can combine them um, <clears throat> and weight them as you wish. Uh, and and so, so we have these maps uh, available already to the public uh, for the Yellow River Basin uh, in China, for, for the Orange Senku River Basin in Southern Africa. We will soon be making public our maps for the Colorado River Basin uh, here in the U.S. And, and for the Murray-Darling in Australia. And we have work underway to do these deep dives uh, looking at the Yangtze River Basin in Central China and, uh, and the Mekong River Basin in Southeast Asia. Here you can see uh, some of these maps ju just to illustrate uh, what it looks like on, on our user interface. This is the Yellow River Basin in China. Now this is the Orange Senka River Basin in Southern Africa. The, uh, the Colorado River Basin here in the United States. We're also creating a water risk news module to accompany the, these maps. And what we do is we, we are planning to scan the internet on a daily basis uh, for water risk related news articles. We are geocoding these articles and planning to make them available to the user simply by clicking on the maps. So that in addition to a quantitative perspective on water risk, you can also get uh, narratives of what's happening on the ground with respect to these issues. Uh, we have this in beta. Um, we're not very satisfied with it now. Uh, so <laughs> we're going to keep working out the kinks until we are satisfied, and then we will make this, this uh, uh, um, component available in the near future, certainly by the end of this year. Okay, now let's segue into the water and food nexus. Um, but before we look at water and food, let, let's warm up with another of my favorite topics, which is the water energy nexus. Um, <clears throat> what, why am I talking about water and energy to a group of people interested in food and agriculture? Uh, well, obviously because uh, energy competes for water with agriculture, so does uh, industry, so do, does municipal use. All these things are interrelated. And, and it's very important to keep that in mind. Now, the, the German government wanted uh, me to put together some maps for their Bonn conference last November that illustrated the water and energy nexus and the water and food nexus. So what we did to do this uh, was we, we took a, a, a 2010 map of all power plants throughout the world, uh, both thermal and hydropower plants, and, and we superimposed them this map on, on top of our water stress map. 
And then we asked ourselves, uh, what percentage of today's power plant design capacity uh, is located in areas of water stress concern? And so we, we, we picked a threshold of, of uh, uh, 20%. So anywhere where, where demand to supply ratio is 20% is or more, could, could be 80% or higher. Uh, that was our cutoff point, and, and we found that 17% of today's power plant design capacity is located in areas of, of water stress concern. When we superimpose these power plants in existence today, 2010, onto our long-term change uh, in water stress maps, we find that 29% of these global power plants uh, would see their water stress grow two to eight times worse by 2025. Here, here's a close-up of the map. You can, you can see the, the hydropower plants in, as blue dots, the thermal power plants as red dots. Um, you know, we did the, de the tabulations for, for this part of southern and eastern Asia and, and found that almost 20% of power plant design capacity is located in areas of water stress concern. When we look to the future, we, we see that 55% of these power plants would see water stress grow two to eight times worse uh, between 2000 and 2025. And the key takeaway message here is that you know, power plant operators, uh, government uh, people overseeing energy production and power production in these countries, uh, people in, including companies and investors contemplating installing new power plant capacity are going to have to make a lot of adjustments in a relatively small, short period of time. Okay, so this is a, a story about the need to adapt quickly to a very swiftly changing water environment. Okay, now let, let's get to the water and food nexus. So we did an analogous uh, study uh, f to illustrate the water and food nexus uh, what we have here is any place uh, where crops are cultivated around the world uh, have a color associated with it. Uh, anywhere where crops are not produced are grayed out. And, and so you can see that a number of areas where crops are grown are already highly stressed, no surprise. And a lot of places, you know, water is still relatively abundant. So we asked the same question, what, what percentage of today's uh, global cultivated crop areas located in areas of water stress concern. And that figure was 28%. When we just look at irrigated agriculture, however, the, the picture uh, grows worse. So this is just blue water using agriculture. 40% uh, of irrigated crops are located in areas of water stress concern. If we look at our long-term change uh, maps, we find that almost 50% of total blue water and green water uh, crops uh, will see water stress grow two to eight times worse by 2025. If we just look at the irrigated crops, the picture is worse. 73% of today's irrigated crop areas uh, would see water stress grow two to eight times worse by 2025. So this makes no assumptions about where agriculture may shift. Uh, it's a simplifying assumption. Um, people may take me to task about it in the Q&A. Um, all I can say is 
is, is uh, th this was a, a good initial uh, assumption for looking at this, and we can no doubt uh, make this, this analysis better. Um, when you look at it regionally, the, the figures are, are very similar to the global averages. So when we look at this part of Asia, 40%, almost 40% of irrigated crops are located in areas of water stress concern. And nearly three quarters will see their water stress grow two to eight times worse in the 2000 to 2025 period. Same is true here for the United States. 40% of irrigated crops are located in areas of water stress concern today. Look at Nebraska. Three quarters, again, what we'll see their water stress grow two to eight times worse by 2025. Uh, at first, who, who thinks this is an interesting looking map? <laughs> at first I had the, the feeling that most of you had, but then I, I, I adopted the, the perspective that this gentleman has, which is, it, it, sh it shows you in, in graph, uh, in map form, the fact that, that was, uh, um, uh, put to us this morning, which is only 5% of our Africa's uh, crops are irrigated. And by the way, the same percentage of these irrigated crops uh, are, are in areas of water stress concern as, as the global averages. Now, let, let's put up a more interesting map, uh, the, the one that shows all, uh, all crops grown in Africa. And we see that, sure enough, green, green uh, Rain-fed agriculture uh, dominates uh, uh, crop production in Africa. And there are a lot of blue areas, and that seems nice because we can irrigate Africa. Um, however, and there's no reason we sh I mean, we, we definitely need to irrigate a lot of Africa, but this, this map shows, uh, uh, serves as a warning sign that you need to go into this situation if you are gonna irrigate Africa with your eyes wide open and ask yourself, is that water going to be available for irrigation use in the near future? Uh, the, the problems of growing water demand are relentless. Uh, you know, by 2050, you know, the, by now, about at least four speakers before me have given you this number, a 70% increase in total food production, to feed more uh, people who are demanding more calories and more water-intensive diets. Same is true for energy. We're, we're gonna be demanding uh, a doubling of our energy output by 2050 to uh, satisfy uh, uh, increasing demand according to the World Energy Council. And when demand for food or anything else, frankly, outstrips supply, the consequences uh, in the economy are that prices go up. And sure enough, since 2002, we can see uh, a steady increase in food prices punctuated by a couple of price spikes in 2008 and 2011. And here's the, the human face on it all. Uh, you know, the, the human implications are that well-being will deteriorate uh, and um, you know, uh, health, human health will, will deteriorate. And when people go to sleep hungry and they see their kids go to sleep hungry, they get angry. I, I sound like that Geico commercial now. 
And when people get angry, they go to the street and they protest in days of rage. Uh, you know, food was probably uh, the tinder uh, for this. There are lots of other reasons why people overthrew those dictators in the Middle East last year. Um, but but food, food was, was a factor that contributed. So what are some solutions? Uh, clearly, we, we need to figure out ways to increase yield. A and uh, I, I was talking with, with Professor Kassman yesterday, uh, very excited to hear about his project to, to investigate and, and pinpoint through maps uh, where our yield gaps exist throughout the world and, and, and therefore inform us where, where we need to uh, uh, redouble our efforts to increase yield. But as a water guy, you know, I'm going to harp on, on some of these issues. Uh, well, I don't know much about high-yielding seeds, but uh, can we increase food 70% through higher-yielding seeds? I, I don't think we get near that. Um, <clears throat> expansion of irrigation, sure, but will the water be available? I can't seem to find any fault with modern management techniques. And in fact, I've, I've been talking to a lot of the extension people here at this conference and uh, learning a ton from them. So, so kudos. Uh, fertilizers, I'm not, I'm not going to get down on the uh, Iowa farmer for her management techniques. Uh, this, is, this is a problem of all of us. You know, we, we are asking these farmers to produce more food to feed ourselves. We just have to figure out a way to manage uh, these pollution problems. Um, I mean, a lot of the hypoxia and eutrophication also has to do with uh, sewage and, and, and poorly treated sewage. But agriculture uh, is, is a lot of the source. <clears throat> Pesticides, look, they safeguard our, our, our food production. Without them, we'd, we'd be uh, in, in deep doo-doo. Uh, but they do have water quality problems. I'm glad someone liked that joke. Uh, my preferred solution, my first best solution, would be not to waste the food in the first place. And there's a shocking amount of waste. Uh, I looked at this little pamphlet. Uh, it's like a 15-page pamphlet that, that seemed to be very well done by the FAO that shows us that one-third of food produced for human consumption is, is lost or wasted globally. And we can, see, we can see that this happens at every point in, in the food supply chain. So it, it, it happens during agricultural production. It happens post-harvest. It happens in processing and distribution, in consumption. Make sure you, you eat everything on your plate. Uh, it happens all over the world, in Europe, in the Americas, in Asia, in Africa, and so forth. And it happens across all food groups. Here I show the, the food losses for cereals, but the story is either slightly better or slightly worse for the other food categories, fruits and vegetables, meats, oils, and so forth. <clears throat> so let's have a little fun with numbers. Uh, um, and this is my last slide. Um, <clears throat> you know, agriculture's share of total global water consumption is 80%. And, and frankly, that, that's pretty uniform throughout the world. It's true on a consumptive basis here in this country. It's true more or less in China. Uh, it's true more or less in Africa. Uh, you, you know, it might be 70%. It might be 90%. This is, 
you know, cocktail napkin discussion here. Uh, the amount of food lost or wasted globally is 33%. When you multiply those two numbers together, you see that fully a quarter of all our water is wasted via food losses and food waste. And, and as a water guy, I get pretty mad and hot under the collar. Uh, so, and here's something maybe you guys can relate to who have seen recent downturns in the stock market. So, if your portfolio, if your portfolio goes down by, by 33%, um, you need to grow that portfolio by 50% to get back to your original level of wealth. Uh, that's just pure uh, um, elementary school math. 50% um, is a high number. Um, and another high number we've been talking about during these, this two-day session, uh, soon to be three days, is 70%. Uh, we need 70% more food. So why don't we put a big dent in that 70% by, by uh, eliminating our food uh, losses and our food waste? Uh, that's it. I'll, I'll step down from my soapbox, uh, and I'm happy to entertain any questions. Thank you.